The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 41 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 38, In Our Midst, an Immortal. This book is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Don Heck, inks by George Bell, and letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in March of 1967. Now, if George Bell's name sounds vaguely familiar, that's because way, way back in episode number five, George Bell was the inker on Fantastic Four numbers 25 and 26 that we covered, the Fantastic Four Avengers crossover. Taking a look at our cover today, it's a pretty bold cover, especially with that red background. We've got Hercules front and center taking up the overwhelming majority of the cover with a tiny enchantress in the background and then the faces of several Avengers kind of half boxing in Hercules. In the tradition of Marvel, what I will call face covers, this is a fairly common gimmick that will be used on covers. I'm not really sure what Goliath is doing with his face, but you know. This book will also be our first introduction to the Marvel character of Hercules. Now, back in issue number 10, we did see a version of Hercules when Immortus decided to pair off the Avengers to fight against historical warriors. Hercules was paired off with, now Goliath was then Giant Man. But it's a different Hercules. Now, right away in this issue, my prediction of things coming to a head between Hawkeye and Goliath comes true. Where I was mistaken is that, once again, their teammates are here to, to attempt to break up the fight. And eventually it gets broken up, though Cap has to escalate the situation a little bit more than he has in the past and really get into... Hawkeye and Goliath's faces. Cap actually throws his shield in between them to get their attention. Goliath catches it and Cap sends Quicksilver to go retrieve it in part as a necessity to get his shield back and in part to test Quicksilver's abilities now that he and Scarlet Witch have returned to the team. And I like the fact that Quicksilver is aware of this and it doesn't bother him. He understands that because he left and he came back, specifically because he felt his powers diminishing, it's only logical of Cap to test him out just a little bit. It's a prudent step for the team leader to take. So as Cap has stepped in the middle of these two, he's able to get them to calm down a little bit and Goliath and Hawkeye agree to resolve their differences during this Avengers meeting that's coming up. And it's a meeting that Hawkeye has greatly desired because they are going to vote on membership in the Avengers for Black Widow, or they're at least having a hearing about that topic. And Black Widow is making her way towards Avengers Mansion from some unspecified, somewhat questionable activities. She's doing some kind of spying of some sort because she's on 
on top of a roof in New York City. And as she makes her way to Avengers Mansion, in fact, really within sight of Avengers Mansion, she is overcome by this cloud of gas that makes her fall asleep. And then she is captured in a vacuum ray by some mysterious shadowy men. And we will catch up with Black Widow in a couple of pages here. But first, we cut to Hercules fighting Ares, which is a very Jack Kirby, very awesome looking fight. So Hercules has been in the Marvel Universe for a little while now. For the most part, he's been confined to adventures with Thor. So specifically Journey into Mystery. Uh, he shows up a couple times and then he's in a fairly substantial chunk from Journey into Mystery 126 up through 131. And the pair go through several adventures. They fight one another to start with. And eventually Hercules is tricked by Pluto into taking over ruling the netherworld. And his only chance to get out of this is for a champion to fight on his behalf, which Thor steps up, does, wins the day, and frees Hercules from the netherworld. And when we last see Hercules in Journey to Mystery, he is confronting Ares because he's upset with Ares for not coming and fighting on Hercules' behalf. So here we see the resumption of that fight, and the pair are pretty evenly matched. You have Hercules with his mace and Ares with his flail, the two men basically beat one another into a standstill, at which point the Enchantress shows up, and she offers both men a drink from this pair of golden chalices. At first, Hercules is understandably and quite correctly skeptical of the Enchantress's offer, in part because her name's the Enchantress, and Hercules actually says, yet my heart doth tell me to beware that which is probably offered by one who dabbles in wizardry. Hercules speaks in a very faux Shakespearean manner, and it's a little bit difficult sometimes, certainly to say out loud. It's not terrible to read, but it is kind of goofy. Thor has a similar way of speaking that's kind of colloquial, that's colloquial, colloquially referred to as Thor speak, and it's also in that faux Shakespearean style. So Enchantress offers these two goblets, one to Ares and one to Hercules. Like I said, Hercules is a little wary, but Ares downs his chalice immediately, and not to be outdone by Ares, Hercules drinks from his. And Hercules also points out that you know, I've met Thor, you say you're an Asgardian, and as, as far as I have been able to see, the Asgardians are a noble people, so I'll trust you. But of course, little does Hercules realize that Enchantress is an Asgardian in exile, and that she is in league with Ares, and Hercules's cup has been filled with the waters of the Fountain of Eros, and he falls madly in love with the Enchantress. And Hercules is now willing to do whatever she bids. And of course, the Enchantress wishes Hercules to destroy the Avengers. Now, this is a great, great use of mythology here. Hercules is one of those characters who is kind of... Love's not really his strong suit, let's put it that way. The entire reason Hercules has to do the labors of Hercules is because he, in a fit of rage, murdered his wife and children. And in general, Hercules is known as a character of great and kind of wild passions. So for Enchantress to bewitch him in such a way that harnesses and makes use of those passions, that love, if you will, is very, very fitting to me. 
Back on Earth, the Avengers have been waiting rather patiently for Black Widow, whom they don't realize has disappeared. All they know is that she is a no-show for this meeting, and folks are starting to get a little grumpy. So the Avengers decide they're going to go out and they're going to get some food because they still need to have this discussion, but since they don't know where Black Widow is, they're going to have to wait a while and... Everyone's getting a little hungry, a little little hangry maybe. So everyone goes except for Captain America who stays. And Cap actually has Jarvis make him a ham and cheese sandwich. That's a very Captain America fitting kind of order. Very plain, very simple. Something that strikes me as being almost a bit of a luxury for a child of the Great Depression. But... While the Avengers are off getting themselves something to eat, we find Black Widow has been taken aboard the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier by none other than Nick Fury. Because Black Widow is a former agent for an unnamed communist power, she has a a bit of baggage, if you will. And in an effort to help improve her standing with Western powers in general, she contacted and offered her services to Nick Fury. Fury. And here, Nick Fury is collecting on that offer. Unfortunately for Widow, Fury is very specific in that she can't tell anyone what's happening, especially Hawkeye. And this is kind of heartbreaking for Widow because she and Hawkeye are just starting to develop a thing. And it's going pretty well for them, I think. But as we'll see in a minute here, it doesn't continue to go so well. Back at Avengers Mansion, the rest of the team has returned to Avengers Mansion to find that Captain America has left suddenly on personal business. So Captain America is not going to return for the rest of this issue. And we find out he has gone off after a distress signal from a person who appears to be Bucky, Captain America's former sidekick. In reality, it is a plot set up by the Red Skull to lure Captain America away. Captain America then faces off against Swordsman and Power Man, who are both now in the employ of the Red Skull. Cap will defeat the two of them, and will spend the next several issues of his own title facing off against the Red Skull. And at one point, Cap actually ends up in the service of the Red Skull, but eventually ends up being able to defeat the Red Skull. So now, as a result, Captain America is no longer available for this important Avengers meeting. And although Iron Man and Thor have stated that they will abide by the decisions of the rest of the Avengers, they're now down several key members at this point. And the rest of the Avengers don't really want to proceed at this moment. And just as that particular fight starts heating up, Black Widow finally shows up, only to tell Hawkeye that she's leaving in an hour and that she has to go back behind the bamboo curtain. Now, for those of you who don't know what the bamboo curtain is, the bamboo curtain is a imaginary dividing line similar to the iron curtain that divided Eastern and Western Europe, the democratic and the communist states there, except this is in Southeast Asia. So it's talking about Vietnam and Korea and China, that area of the world. It was a common practice back in the 1960s to refer to things like the bamboo curtain or the Cactus Curtain in Cuba for demarcations between Western and Communist areas or states, kind of in a similar fashion to the way we here in America insist on putting gate at the end of any political scandal after the Watergate Hotel break-in. So needless to say, Hawkeye is pretty devastated by this news. And interestingly enough, the person who doesn't buy it the most is Goliath. I'll be really honest, I expected him to be the first person to jump on the I told you so bandwagon. But, 
he actually calls out Widow and says, look, I don't really care for you all that much, and I don't really want you to be an Avenger, but I'm not buying what you're selling here. I think there's more to this than you're willing to admit to, and you should fess up and tell us the truth. But unfortunately for Hawkeye, Black Widow not only insists that she has to leave and that she can't tell them what's going on, but that even the idea of having a relationship with Hawkeye was foolish. So at this point, Hawkeye's taken a couple of good, solid gut punches, and he's really had his heart ripped out and stomped on fairly publicly here, right in front of his teammates. While everyone else is kind of reeling from this, Goliath feels the need to push forward with Avengers business like nothing happened. Obviously, Hawkeye throws a fit and basically says, look, I'm out. I'm done with the Avengers. But Wasp also gets pretty perturbed at Goliath and she actually walks out with Hawkeye. Now, I'm really fascinated by this pairing. The fact that Wasp joins Hawkeye here. Honestly, I think it's because Wasp is really annoyed with Goliath and he his lack of humanity here. Hawkeye just had his heart torn out and stomped on in front of the whole team, and all Goliath wants to do is move on to the next thing. And that's, for lack of a better term, pretty heartless. It really doesn't speak all that highly of how Goliath feels about his teammates. I think this is also the reason that we see Wasp out to dinner with Hawkeye in a few pages, because right now, whether he will outwardly admit it or not, Hawkeye needs a friend, and Wasp is going to be that friend. Captain America would have been probably a stronger and more obvious choice to befriend Hawkeye, but I'm kind of glad Wasp goes with him. Again, for one, he needs someone, and two, I think it says a lot given the less than cordial relationship these two have had at times. There has been a low-level animosity between them for a while now, in part because Hawkeye wasn't taking things particularly seriously, especially when Goliath disappeared at one point, so the fact that Jan chooses to go with Hawkeye says a whole lot about her character. I also do feel a little bit bad for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver here because they have just come back to the team only to find it starting to come apart at the seams. And just as Wasp and Hawkeye leave, suddenly Hercules and the Enchantress appear inside Avengers Mansion. Now interesting here, normally when we have seen a villain take on the Avengers in some weakened state or divided state, it's after something the villain has done or the villain has been specifically watching and waiting for the right opportunity to divide and conquer, so to speak. In this case, it's really just blind luck that Hercules and Enchantress show up when they do. And the Avengers, as best they can, react to this new threat. Now, I'm starting to see a bit of a pattern emerge here where the first thing that happens in a fight is that Quicksilver runs out, gets a couple good hits in on the enemy, and either underestimates their reactions or takes a second to pause, has some little misstep, and then Quicksilver gets stunned or disabled momentarily, usually causing Scarlet Witch to then jump into action. Though not as much in this case because Scarlet Witch ends up squaring off against the Enchantress. Now, in the meantime, although Quicksilver took a pretty solid shot from Hercules, he's gotten back up and is continuing to engage the demigod here. Hercules is very much out of his element here, right? He's a mythological character. He's not used to this level of machinery and technology. So he decides he's going to grab a piece of equipment and try and use, as he refers to it, the sinews of metal from Yon Strange device to stop Quicksilver. 
what happens here is instead of getting sinews of metal, the device, whatever it is, explodes and takes down Quicksilver. It's also worth noting here that Hercules is very much relying on luck. Again, he grabbed this piece of equipment having no idea what it does and managed to take out the target he intended to without doing really any harm to himself. And I love the fact that Hercules even kind of acknowledges this. He says, truly the gods of Olympus do smile on Hercules this day. Hercules realizes that he is living a bit of a charmed existence here. So a moment ago when Hercules punched Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch didn't really react. When Hercules causes this explosion that takes out Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch very much reacts in a spectacular panel. And as we'll see in a minute here, she tries to go to Quicksilver's aid, but is instead stopped by Enchantress. So with Quicksilver out of the picture and Scarlet Witch about to be engaged by the Enchantress, the only person left to square off with Hercules is Goliath. And although Goliath is certainly the strongest of the Avengers currently, and one of the strongest people in the Marvel Universe at this point in time, outside of probably the Thing and Hulk, and possibly Thor, Hercules outclasses Goliath significantly, right? Hercules is a demigod. Goliath is a super science-y nerd who made himself strong. So Goliath gets tossed around the room pretty darn consistently. Elsewhere in New York, somewhere around 55th Street, we see Hawkeye and Wasp in their civilian street clothes having dinner at a Chinese restaurant when Hawkeye's Avengers alert ring goes off. And Hawkeye is inclined to believe that it's nothing, that they're calling an Avengers alert over something pretty small. If it were really big, Hawkeye would know and he would respond. And at the moment, I think he's really just frustrated with the team, with the Avengers, given everything that's just happened and the blow up he and Goliath had at each other. The reality is the Avengers don't send out these alerts when nothing's up. They really are actually pretty good about not sending out Avengers alerts over nothing. It's just that at the moment Hawkeye doesn't want any part of any of this. And Wasp convinces herself that everything's got to be fine because we just left everyone at Avengers Mansion and she says and I quote, what menace would dare confront them there? Knowing that Roy Thomas started off as a Marvel fan before becoming a writer for Marvel. I have to think that that is Thomas being a little tongue-in-cheek here, given the fact that this is the seventh or eighth time that a supervillain has confronted the Avengers in their own home. Avengers Mansion is actually one of the least safe places in the universe at this point. Supervillains are constantly dropping in there to beat up on the Avengers. So Wasp's assertion that everything's got to be fine because they're at Avengers Mansion has got to be one of the most bonkers ideas I've ever heard. Back at Avengers Mansion, we see Enchantress and Scarlet Witch facing off against one another, and Enchantress is not really holding back. She lets loose a spell on Scarlet Witch that sounds pretty nasty. She electrifies all of the air molecules around Scarlet Witch and is basically non-stop shocking her with the air. Now, Scarlet Witch is able to mount a little bit of a defense here and send some hexes Enchantress's way, but they don't really seem to have much of an effect. Now, there is a panel here that makes it appear like 
Enchantress doesn't have a, a spine, but that really seems to be the result of the art, not of Scarlet Witch's actions. So between Enchantress and Hercules, things are not going well for the Avengers. Goliath is on his feet fighting for a few more moments here, but it's clear that he is losing this fight, and eventually he succumbs to the significantly and extremely more capable Hercules. In short order thereafter, Scarlet Witch succumbs to the Enchantress's attacks. Now, I'm pretty impressed with Goliath for holding up against a demigod as long as he did. I am kind of disappointed that Scarlet Witch, with her powers now back at their peak, was unable to hold off Enchantress and really barely was able to fight back against Enchantress. That, to me, was a little disappointing. But as far as Goliath goes, good on him for taking the pounding that he did. He really, really got the tar beaten out of him. But, of course, this is not the end of our story because Hawkeye and Wasp have in fact made their way back to Avengers Mansion. I'd like to think that Wasp, as soon as she said the foolish thing that she said, realized what she had said and the pair of them immediately rushed back to Avengers Mansion to help their teammates. But unfortunately, the logic, the justification here is not explained almost at all. We just have to be happy with the fact that Hawkeye and Wasp have returned to Avengers Mansion to aid their teammates. When they arrive, Hawkeye is able to grab his bow and a single untested sulfur-based arrow, which Hawkeye looses at Hercules. And as it turns out, sulfur also being the same smell as brimstone, frees Hercules from the spell that Enchantress made using the Waters of Eros. Now, I've looked into the Waters of Eros, and I couldn't find anything specifically having to do with the Waters of Eros or any relationship specifically with brimstone. So I I think this is a creation of Marvel Comics as opposed to mythology, but if you know differently than I do here, please, by all means, let me know, and I will make sure I update everyone with that information. But having said that, Hercules has now been freed from the Enchantress's spell. He remembers pretty much how he fell under her spell, and Hercules and the Enchantress spend a moment staring each other down, and eventually Hercules effectively threatens her into retreating back from where she came. Now the reality is with her powers, she probably could have made a good fight out of both the Avengers and Hercules together. But instead, she's not quite as certain of her powers, and as we'll find out in a moment here, she's not quite so certain of how she feels about Hercules, so she decides to just be on her way since she's been given that option. Now, what would a good Hercules story be without the meddling of the God of Thunder himself, Zeus. That's right, at this point, the master of Olympus, Zeus, makes his way into our story, and because Hercules came to Earth without his permission, even though he was under Enchantress's spell, he is going to be punished by Zeus and forced to live among humans for a full year. Now, almost immediately after this pronouncement, Quicksilver steps forward and offers Hercules the hospitality of the Avengers. And the rest of the team is quick to join in and indeed offer Hercules a place to stay. And Hercules will now become a recurring character in the Avengers, will actually join the Avengers in issue number 45, and will carry out his banishment up through issue number 50. So Hercules is going to be with us periodically for the next 12 issues, the next year. And it's worth noting here, again talking about the mythology, hospitality and guest 
rules, guest laws, were very big in Greek society. So the fact that the Avengers are offering Hercules a place to stay, they're opening their doors to Hercules as their guest, is a very big deal in ancient Greek culture and would speak significantly to Hercules as to whom the Avengers are and what they stand for if they're willing to accept him in like that. And our issue will conclude with Enchantress and Hercules both contemplating their recent events, Enchantress contemplating whether or not she has feelings for Hercules, and Hercules contemplating his year-long banishment, as well as the challenges that may face him while he is on Earth. Overall, I like the story told in this book. I think it's a good introduction to Hercules for anyone who hasn't been reading Journey into Mystery. There are some character traits from Journey into Mystery we didn't get in this issue, but we'll see them eventually. I'm not as big a fan of the mixing of Norse and Greek pantheons. I think after a while, when you have too many characters who are gods, it makes it difficult for the mere mortal characters like Hawkeye or Captain America to stand out as much. It's also worth noting that there are a lot of backgrounds in this book that are filled with motion lines. So basically, you have the characters doing whatever they're doing, a colored background, and then a lot of short lines radiating out of whatever's going on in order to imply motion. And it strikes me as there having been some kind of crunch on the art in terms of time. It's a very quick and dirty way to make the art look like there's a lot going on. It would also explain the inclusion of George Bell as an inker, given the fact that Don Heck has been doing his own inks for the last five issues. The fact that we have an inker again and we have these very vague backgrounds that are heavily reliant on the inker tells me that Don Heck probably didn't have enough time to ink his own work, and that's also why we have the backgrounds that we do is that there wasn't enough time to do full backgrounds here. It's not a bad thing, necessarily, if it doesn't become a consistent thing. If this is the one or two times it happens, no big deal. If this becomes a consistent thing, then it's a problem. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Avengers number 39, The Torment and the Triumph. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.